Grace and mercy and peace are all yours from God our Father, through the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God's word for his people today is our Old Testament lesson. It's from Genesis chapter 16. Uh, Just a, a verse towards the end of the reading, verse 13, to refresh our memories. Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This is the word of the Lord. Loved ones, they say never meet your heroes. There's a lot of wisdom in that. And they have to mention the names Bill Cosby and Matt Lauer, Kevin Spacey. Brings to mind men whom our society admired, looked up to, even saw as examples of how we are to live. Bill Cosby was called America's dad for a time, only to find out that what they did behind the scenes was directly opposite of the public image that they portrayed. Finding out what famous men are like when they are not in public can be very, very disappointing. One of the more famous and important people in the the history of the Christian faith, whose life accounts take up much of the Bible, is a man by the name of Abraham. He is called the father of our faith, and we are to look to him, Jesus even said, as an example of what it means to believe in God and to have it credited to you as righteousness. So I wonder how many Christians are disappointed. I wonder how many people who know of Abraham as a hero of faith are disappointed to hear everything that happened in this account that we read of his life today. Let's take a closer look. This was a a very, very spiritually difficult time for Abraham and his wife, Sarah. It had been 10 years since he, he came home and explained to her this exciting news and said, honey, we are going to get to start over. It's time for us to start over. We are going to move hundreds of miles from here and we're going to be rich and we're going to be respected and we're going to have a family him at 75 and her at 65. And after a decade, most of that happened. They moved away and everything went fine. They they settled in what is now the land of Israel. He was richer than he had started out with and he was respected by everyone around him. But no kids. That was hard for them. They were beginning to wonder when. And because Abraham had said it was the promises of God that that led them to all these decisions to make all this new start, they started to doubt when this promise of God that they were going to not only have a family but have nations of descendants wasn't happening. And so doubts were creeping in and things that they knew to be sinful started to seem okay. 
the law at that time in many of the, the cultures at least that were around that area allowed for a woman to have children if she owned a slave and that woman, that slave woman had a child with her husband, that, that child would legally be the offspring of the woman who owned the slave. And so Sarah had an idea. She told Hagar, her servant, and her husband, Abraham, to have a child together that would legally be Sarah's. In weakness of faith, not only did she come up with this plan, but in weakness of faith, Abraham went along with it. And on paper, it seemed like a pretty simple solution. But that's when things got complicated. That's what happens when people who know God's commands make their own plans. That seems simple. Things get complicated. While the plan worked, in one respect, Hagar got pregnant by Abraham, it did not work out very well at all. As soon as Hagar got pregnant, she started to get smug. And she started to, to let Sarah know that, that she could give something to, to Sarah's husband that Sarah could not. And I wonder if she exaggerated how tired she was getting. I wonder if she just blatantly ignored what Sarah wanted her to do, thinking, well, I'm carrying this child. You have to treat me well. I can get away with it. But whatever she did, Sarah had to clamp down. And she did. And it was harsher than, Her than, than Hagar felt she could handle, so she ran. Headed back home towards Egypt, hundreds of miles south, and then found herself alone and in danger with not only herself to feed, but a child on the way. And she hadn't asked for any of this. She didn't ask to be a slave. She was pressured to become pregnant. And yet she wasn't completely blameless either. And so along with a heart that would have been full of, of fear and uncertainty as to what was happening next, she also would have had a heart that was wrestling with regret. It was her attitude that took a bad situation and made it worse. This is the person to whom, to whom God's heart goes out. It's not someone who impresses God with a history of only doing good and never doing wrong. It's not a person who proved herself worthy to God of his blessings. It's not somebody who said, well, I'll make a good deal with you, God. If you just get me out of this mess, then I promise that I'll do better. It wasn't even someone we know prayed a lot, though she did in this emergency. It was someone unloved. It was someone powerless to stop people from controlling her life and her decisions. It was someone desperate. It was someone without a clue as to what was going to happen next and how things would go. It was someone who suffered loss that God decided, you're important enough for me to help. Just how important was she to God? 
Well, if you read carefully in our text today, we don't hear that God sent one of his angels, maybe one of his nameless millions that were were there and, and singing Jesus' praises when the night he was born. It wasn't even an angel with a name like Michael or Gabriel, one of the head angels. It says the angel of the Lord himself came and said, I, I will increase your descendants. You see, that name, the angel of the Lord, is a very special name for one person in the Old Testament. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God Himself, before He was conceived and born. This was Jesus Himself in His divine nature before Joseph named Him Jesus that came and cared for Hagar. Hagar, he said, would not only survive but so would her baby and so would her grandchildren and she would have so many descendants that she too would be called a nation. The Lord heard her prayers, he saw her need, and he helped. And then came the hard thing. He told her he wanted her to go back. He gave her no assurances that Abraham and Sarah were going to treat her any better. He made no promise that life would be easy for her son. In fact, he would have the kind of nature and personality where he would make things hard on himself too. But she did have the promises of God that he was watching over her, that he is everywhere, that he sees everything, and he cares for her. And so no wonder that she did what what people did before you could post selfies on Facebook and Instagram when you want to commemorate an important event. She gave a name to the place where something important happened so that every time she or someone else went by there, it would come to mind. And she called the place Be'er Lahai Roy, the well of the living one who sees me. And that's the thing that God wants us to take to heart from this account today. God is the living God who sees you. Yeah, God sees all of your faults and all of your failures and all of your sin. He sees the family troubles for which you are to blame and the ones you didn't ask for. He not only sees your sin, but he saw it well in advance of before anyone ever thought of you. He saw it well in advance of Hagar. He saw it at the beginning of time. He saw who you would be. He saw you in your life. He saw that left to yourself, you would be asking for eternal death simply by being born, and then you'd act on that sinful nature and ask for it even more. The living God sees you and saw what he needed to do to change the course of your life eternally. And so the angel of the Lord personally came into this world. He came so close to you that he became one of us, came into our flesh. The Son of God became the Son of Man. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Not just sitting out there waiting for us to call on him in an emergency, but right here, taking no matter what mess we've made upon himself and taking the blame for it, saying, I won't hold this against you forever because God the Father will hold all of your sinful failures and messes 
against me. And that's what happened as he died a horrible death on a cross. Remember that. Remember that God does his best work through a cross. Jesus didn't ask for his cross, nor was he to blame for any of the pain that he endured. But remember what God did through it. He saved the world. And he saved you. Whenever you're faced like Abraham and Sarah and Hagar were with pressure to sin, it seems like it's a simple solution. Remember that when we make plans other than God's commands, it's never going to be as simple as it seems. One of the biggest pressures that we face, especially when it comes to, to changing the plans of God and changing them like Hagar and Sarah and, and Abraham did when it comes to the family, is the idea that culture and society ought to determine how families are formed. And so even within Christian churches, the idea is accepted and, and the sinful idea that, that living together before you're married is okay is creeping in more and more. It is not. It is not God's plan, and it is asking for things to be complicated, and it is asking for harm to your faith. Because when we start to make plans that are not God's, we're drifting away from Him, and we're failing to trust in Him. And that's sin. And I know there's pressure internally because it seems so much more reasonable to say, well, let's try things out to see if they work out. But that's just human plans, and there's always something that's going to be wrong with that. So what does God want us to do? Well, he wants us to stand up to that pressure. He wants us to trust in him enough to say we are not going to live together before we get married, and if we already are, then we repent of that. Either get married or find some way to live apart until we do. No, it's not easy. But remember what God does for us. When we have made our own plans, when we have fallen into sin, we are the ones that God reaches out to. That God says, I am with you. I am with you. Jesus' death counts for you. You are forgiven. Now let's do the hard thing with me right here at your side, right here next to you, right here with you. Remember, you have a God who when you are doing the right thing and following him, says, I will be with you and I will be helping you. I know they say, never meet your heroes. I want to meet Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and I'm planning on it. Eternity is a long time to meet a lot of people. And I plan on seeing them in heaven because even though they fell from, from grace, they didn't stay away from grace. You see, there's a difference between heroes that fall from grace and heroes that receive God's grace. Heroes that fall from grace cover up their sin. Heroes that receive grace confess it. And with sins forgiven, we continually pray for all that we need. With sins forgiven, we stand up to the world's pressure to sin. With sins forgiven, we trust that God will be with us. And we continue that He'll continue to take and we trust that He'll continue to take care of us, even as we do the hard things that are not popular that He wants us to do. 
After all, the one true God is the one who promises our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. After all, this is the living God who sees us. Amen.